November 1st. For the NHL, though. Same crap. Groundhog Day. Different month. Yeah. Month two for Real Kipper and Born, though. That's good. We've made it this far? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not, not a small thing, I don't think. It's Real Kipper and Born show. Number 20, November 1st. That's that's an accomplishment in itself, yeah. Justin. Oh, we're rolling now. I screwed up the lineup. It's actually 21. Uh, oh, 21. Sammy, we thought we had it all no, figured I out know. by November. No, I screwed we'll, it up. We'll try for December. Show 21. Must have been a good weekend for you, Sammy, then, if uh, if you're getting the number wrong. Spectacular. Sam, do you still party? Yep. Oh, that's that's nice. That I think be... Friday, did we not leave with you going to a Halloween party? You did. Yeah, <laughs> you were And right. you never told us your costume. I said uh, you're just super fan Sammy. No, I was from um it's got a show called I Think You Should Leave. I was wearing a hat with a safari flap on the back. It's kinda hard to explain. If you know, you know. There's like six people for, at the party that got it. I know it's a I, I don't think he got into the top three in prizes for that no, one. No, no honestly, it was a pretty what? bad showing for everyone with Halloween costumes. There but wasn't many good the ones. The people who liked your costume loved your for costume. Sure. You're either yeah. in or you're just fully out. Bang on. Plenty to get into in the next couple hours, and, and we're here for you to do all of that. Of course, uh, what, a uh, little uh, over an hour, Gary Bettman spoke at his media conference. Just him and Bill Daly. That's mm-hmm. it. I was kind of surprised that they would do this. At times, I thought they... It looked like a pinata up there with the media just trying to take wax at them. And as good lawyers do, they did find a way to talk themselves out of a couple of scenarios. It was like it, there's great irony, and they did what they did so they could claim transparency, and then they spent the entire time trying to be as opaque as possible. So, uh, you know, they, they get to say they, they were transparent, but certainly weren't. Yeah, kind of interesting on the call, too. Uh, and uh, what I found the most interesting out of all of that was the fact that uh, one of the lead investigated reporters, as we know, has been Rick Westhead on this. He was on the call, and it was actually a comment from uh, a co-worker of his at TSN, Pierre Lebrun, who had mentioned that he had hoped that Rick was going to be able to get on and ask a question. And was the insinuation, JB, as simple as they weren't allowing him on at that point? I think the insinuation was they were like, hey, uh, Ted Flurbley from the Flin Flon blog spot, you know, and it's like, can we get to Rick Westhead, please? It was, uh, yeah, an awkward moment. So what stood out for you out of Gary Bettman? Was it, uh, you know, he spoke of, uh, I, I think, the main focus probably was why Joel Quenville and why not Kevin Sheveldayoff, general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. And I think we've got this clip on Gary Bettman talking first about Joel Quenville. Well, suffice it to say that whatever conversations I had with Joel, or I suppose Vinny Viola had with Joel, uh, Joel ultimately concluded that the most sensible course of action for him was to resign. What do you make out of that? The Vinny Viola thing stands out to me. Like he talked with the owner of the Florida Panthers here to make a decision about charting his course forward. 
the question there had been about was there something threatened for Quenville? Like, what would they have done had he not resigned? You know, and they said, they basically, you know, Bettman, very evasive there, but basically just said in discussions he decided it was the best course forward for him. So I don't know. What do you think that means? I'm I'm told that uh, it was uh, a, a a very good parting of the ways for uh, ownership Viola and Joel Quenville, right? And that uh, I had heard that by Joel doing what he did, it helped everyone. Gotcha. So if that's the case, then. Joel Joel's been kicked to the curb. He's the second winningest coach in NHL history. He's, for all intent and purposes, lost his spot on the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot so, to fight for for Joel to willingly. Step well, no, down. no, there's not a lot to fight for. There might be just one thing, like twenty five million bucks. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the remainder of his contract, or what? He, I would what assume he, his contract uh, was. I, I think we, I think it was around reported 6.5 a year. So we do know he was right up there amongst the highest in history. Right. And I would assume that he's still getting paid. Now I'm not reporting that. I'm not confirming that. I'm not, that's not what I, uh, but my connecting dots here, we're connecting dots. Yeah. And if you really look at it, JB, like out of all of this up until today, no one has been fired with cause. Right. Like everybody has got a chance to resign or step aside. Yeah. And so if, if, uh, Shevel Dayoff can claim he, his superiors were taken care of at Quenville logically could too, just from an argument standpoint, but chose not to make any, of those arguments, or maybe there was a better reasons for him to step away. So it probably and, is tied. And is there a window? And Gary dollars. Bettman has talked about this on a couple occasions. Now they made it clear to the whole world that there may be an opportunity for Joel Quenville to come back. They, it's going to be one they, of those two years. They've we'll left now. Oh, it doesn't matter a year, two years. It doesn't matter, but it's open for him to be reinstated. Is that yeah. is that the term here? I guess it feels like a little bit of faux punishment in a way. Like, you know, everyone just trying to make things go away. The public reaction calmed down is what it feels like to me. What, do you want to do Chevy here? Do you hear the Bettman part yeah. on Chevy too? Yeah. I'd like to hear that too because I think that that's relevant. What uh, Gary Bettman had to say about Sheveldayov and him being uh, excused while well, well, Quenville wasn't. Uh, he thought the matter based on his position and the information available to him and the fact, as I said, that Aldridge subsequently departed the organization, uh, it, he thought it had been fully resolved by the people that he reported to. Kevin was such a minor player in this. Uh, and we, we discussed this with Reed Shar, who did the investigation for Jenner and Block, that if I have this correct, and Bill will correct me if I'm wrong, um, when they were doing the investigation, the only person who placed Kevin in the room for the May 13th meeting was Kevin. Everybody else either forgot or didn't acknowledge that he was there. 
He had been with the Blackhawks for nine months. He was an assistant general manager with fairly limited responsibilities. This was not something that, that he not only had no responsibility for, that based on what was available to him in his minor relatively position at the time, he had no reason to believe that anything other than the right things were going on. What kills me there is such, Kevin was such a minor player in this. How many junior employees do you know get invited into managerial meetings where they're going to expose and discuss sexual assault or harassment within their, you're not a junior if you're invited to that meeting. You know, those, if you're, if you're such a minor player with an organization, they don't have you at that table valuing your opinion, wanting your input, thinking you need to hear the information. And it's interesting too, because as we know, Kyle's role at that particular time is being one of the extra players, uh, black ace. That's what, that's what we're called. Yeah. And I, I've, I've been a part of it. I've been on a part of a part of it on, on a couple of occasions and with the New York Rangers, we were inclusive on everything. Mm -hmm. That means we practice with the main team and, and we are there. We're in every meeting, everything. And I don't know what we had at the roster at the time. There was probably about six or seven extras. Right. But in this instance, we're under the impression that their black aces did not participate with the main roster. So that would have been really no focus of Joel Quenville at all. And in fact, probably on most cases in the National Hockey League, as an assistant general manager, you would probably have more access or more knowledge of, of the extras than even the main coach would. Right. But in this instance, you know, it would, I would, I think Chevy wouldn't go in there as a, as a, as a junior, there would be some sort of, of heavy knowledge of, of those black aces. And I'm not insinuating that Kevin knew, no, you know, at that point or what was going on with any of them. But to your point, it's not a minor role as a assistant general manager. It's a major position, especially when it comes to these extra players. And, and you're right. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't uh, inviting Bob from the mail room into the meeting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to say that he, he assumed that it had been taken care of when it was all over. Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it does, doesn't feel quite right to me. I, I wonder if Winnipeg as an organization themselves won't say this just doesn't feel you feel right anymore, the involvement, but uh, wait to be seen. Was it? Was there anything else, Kipper, from did, that that did, you wanted did, to? Did, uh, you know, I, I think it's, there's a lot of people on the media on that call for Gary. Yeah. I mean, is was there any questions that you liked or didn't like or would have asked yourself? I know, uh, I mean, some people are just better at this than others. Yeah. For sure. And some have tremendous uh, instincts and some are, uh, you know, investigative journalists. Some aren't, I, I get all of that. So, you know, just from afar, what would you have liked to ask? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I'll, I'll focus on two things that actually were asked, and that's Katie Strang and Rick Westhead are two people who are typically uh, the front lines of this sort of thing. You know, Katie asked them uh, when they were made aware of Aldrich and his, um, you know, his eventual sexual assault that got him put in jail. And if they looked into his dismissal from the Blackhawks, they didn't want to touch Katie Strang's question. I think they gave her a 10 word an- answer. Like, uh, you know, we found out about it like last year. Mm. Um, and then Rick West had himself asking Bettman to commit to um, what it, the needs of John Doe two of, you know, whether it be mental health counseling therapy, whatever it was they would need and Bettman not wanting to uh, commit to anything like that. It, it's interesting that the investigative reporters kind of know how to better hone in on those things. And Bettman, a lawyer, daily, a lawyer. I was okay with Bettman's answer, though. To, to On the second one there? Yeah, the I, I mean, I think Rick was trying to really put him on the spot right there for sure. It's not an easy, yes, we'll pay for uh, anything moving forward for him. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do believe that that there should be more questions and answered and more That's discovery fair. Fair. before, you know, making – such a claim on the spot. I, I was okay with, with Batman's answer there. I would have liked him to say that they will follow up on it and that, you I know, think he did though. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the impression I got. If there's that, that going he, to be more there and the yeah. chance that they will do that, then great. But yeah. it felt to me like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not committing to this now. I th- How about yourself? Any, any well, questions that you just, would have wanted to just at the end of the day, I think, you know, he seems very satisfied with, uh, the investigative uh, report by is it Jenner, Jenner and, and Block yeah. and J- Jenner and Block, uh, and for me, I just don't think it's sufficient enough. And what I really didn't like, and I would have asked, you know, one of the questions I probably would have liked is that, you know, as many people as they interviewed, thirty-seven, I believe, is the number yeah, declined. that declined. Thirty-seven, not three. Not five, but 37. Yeah. Like somewhere between one and 37, there has to be some information that could help us mm-hmm. answer what happened yeah. a little better than what we have today. And is, is that okay that we have what we think is criminal activity although nothing's been proven in court yet, and I don't know if it ever will, but 37 got, nah, I'll pass. There's a lot of people just protecting their own butts here. That's, uh, that's, that's as evident as anything. And actually, this leads me to an interesting question that I, I'd ask you. All I see is everyone trying to protect themselves. Bettman and Daly in the NHL and Sheveldayoff and Quenville and everybody from basically every angle, including the people who didn't want to discuss it. You yourself were involved in the NHL in what were, um, you know, for your teammates. Some teammates of yours were accused of sexually harassing. Um, yeah, there were allegations for a sexual assault uh, in 89 when we, uh, for the first time in history for the Washington Capitals, went to the conference final against Boston. Yeah. did Were we, you pushed in any way to yeah, protect no, people? To, was your no. organization? How did, how did that yeah. work in your experience? Um, first of all, very scary. Yeah. Here I am in, in my first full year in the NHL, uh, what we think is uh, a celebration for the first time in history, going to a conference final, uh, Georgetown. And uh, it, it's a great night, only to be uh, hearing the next day that uh, 
some of my teammates have been accused and uh, and dealing with it. And, you know, I, I, I was listening to Kelly Rudy on the weekend talking about uh, an incident that uh, he wasn't prepared and he said that he wasn't prepared to, to get into any deeper. Uh, but, you know, there, there's an overall culture uh, uh, thought about our culture, hockey culture, um, that, I, you know, I mean, I'm not like Kelly had his experience and I totally respect his exper- experience and everybody's got different experiences. But, you know, there's there's people that say that, like, we need better education. And I'm sitting there going, hold on for a second. I mean, we had no education in 2010. I had no education in 2000 or uh, 1989. I had plenty of education. Mm-hmm. I had the education of knowing what is right and what is wrong. That's all the education I needed. And there's still the perception out there that there's this culture and it's hush hush and we don't talk about it and we don't. No, I, I was I was against the wall in 1989. Mm-hmm. And I had police, I had FBI, I had everybody asking me questions. And at no time did I ever feel hockey culture. Got to take care of my boys. Got to keep it hush-hush. None of it. You just told them what happened. Just tell the truth. Tell them what happened. And no time did anybody from the Washington Capitals ever come to me. David Poyle, Dick Patrick, Abe Poland, I think, was the, the owner at the time. Did anybody ever come up to me and say, you got to tell me first what happened and, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go from there? Nothing. You know the first thing they did for me? Get me a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Without ever asking me what I saw, what happened, what I did, it was as professional as can be in 1989. No culture there, just the truth. And it just somehow makes it look worse for Chicago to me that these guys weren't able to do the same and just say, here's and what happened. Somehow, some way, now this is like a, ho- a hockey culture thing. No, this is bad people thing this is a few individuals who could not put kyle ahead of their own selfish mandate Mm -hmm. and that's what we're talking about here yeah i think that's i mean a fascinating reflection going back there it is you do hear a lot of well it's 2010 yeah like 2010 was like 1710 or something like it you know, just 2010, it was 11 years ago here. It was, it was not a million years ago. So that's interesting that your experience in 89. So I, I did, was... I, I wrote a book last year, Justin, and I do talk about that. And, you know, what was crazier even there, more is I, I, I went to a, a grand jury. I sat in front of like, you know, 30 people explaining what I saw. Mm-hmm. And there was a leak to the Washington Post the next day. And it was the complete opposite of what I told the grand jury. And it said, I have witnessed a struggle. And uh, I was covering it up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Front page of the Washington Post. Okay. Not the the North York mirror. (laughs) The Washington Post. So you go to the dressing room, guys on your team think you made So now everybody's now going, all right. Like, what? Like. Okay, what's Kiprio saying? And, uh, yeah, and then I got bombarded with, like, letters and emails and, you know, 
Way to stand up. You finally broke that hockey culture and told the truth. Way to go. And I'm like, you did tell the truth. I did tell the truth. <laughs> and that ain't the truth. Yeah. But it was, it was nuts back then. Absolutely nuts. But we never wavered. Nobody ever wavered about just telling the truth and do it to the proper authorities. No one tried to cover anything up back then. Well, so here we are to hear what Kevin Sheveldale has to say tomorrow. You know, because his statement said nothing. Said the opposite of what you're talking about. There was no specifics. It's all vague, kind of ducking and hiding from saying anything uh, overly, I guess, overly truthful, just just to protect themselves. So curious to see where that goes from them. That's fascinating. All right. Um, We believe in what maybe uh, 45 minutes from now, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern is my understanding that there's going to be a a major call into the NHL Players Association uh, with uh, their executive committee, which uh, constitutes of 32 reps on each team uh, to really figure out what's going on in terms of what happened when someone reached out to the NHL Players Association on behalf of Kyle and why wasn't it followed up? Donald Fear, we believe, is on the hot seat as uh, uh, Elliot and Jeff Merrick talked about Saturday night. Some players are, are really upset. To what point now moving forward, what do we really expect uh, out of this call today? You know, you've got more of a involvement with the players association and and how much they're leaned on by the players and how much fear is valued by those guys. You know, if I sitting here as an outsider, it feels like he's another guy who can sort of, I don't want to say take the fall, but he was responsible for something that went poorly. And it feels pretty clear to me that if the, the PA and feels they should have done differently. And I think they do that. They may move on from them. And in fact, quite likely will move on from them. What is your, understanding of how i guess how this all works the pa the players and how they sort of represent the frustrations of the league at large well right now it's if it's as simple as do we like don does he get to stay then you've got at least i think 18 that have to vote to get rid of him which i don't know is is it that hard today i just don't know first and foremost if it's going to get to that, at least today. Mm-hmm. My personal feeling from you know, watching this association kind of evolve yep. over you know the last few decades is there would be a number of guys on today's call that wouldn't even have a clue what they're really voting on. They're just like, so oh, fair. Yeah. My <laughs> suggestion to you is just don't do anything today and listen and educate yourself. So I don't really expect anything to happen today, per se, other than where do we want to go from here? And my first thought is, hey, find out what happened here. Find from out. From the PA's perspective. From the where, PA's where perspective. Where it fell apart. Where it fell apart. Yeah. And if that means hiring an outside firm to do it, and doing your own investigation, then do it and find out exactly what was said, who who said what. Because again, li- lives, who knew what when, lives, eh? lives 
reputations, legacies. They're all on the line here. Credibility. If we're going to disgrace people, let's just make sure it's for the right reasons. I think that's not fair. Just finding somebody to take blame. Yeah. So that's what I hope in the next little while. Now you want my personal opinion? It's time, Donald. Yeah. Donald Fear, it's it's time to do what probably should have been done a few years ago and have a real game plan on how you're going to transition to transition out. And I'm not to suggest that you're just you're going to leave because it's the right time. You're going to leave because we're going to find out exactly what your role was in all of this. Mm-hmm. But th- this guy probably has been here couple of years too many already and it's just it's time so if they don't find let's just say there's an investigation and you're cleared of any wrongdoing you still need to have a contingency plan right now for somebody to come in someone to take over it's just you're you're tired you've told people you're tired it's just it's it's over man it's over Time to move on. I, I I just want to make sure that it's done properly for these guys yeah. before they start pointing fingers because they think it's it's the right thing to do is just find blame. It would be really easy blame. to come in lazy and be like, all right, well, there's the guy. Look, we took care of the problem and, and not look for, you know, the failing and try to rectify that for future yeah. issues and, and, and improve things for the next time things uh, go wrong because they certainly will. But just... Do it professionally here, you know. Mm-hmm. Go out, go now. If you need to hire a company to come in and investigate, then that's what you do. Right. And and you don't give people an opportunity to say, "No, nah, I'll pass." You want to be interviewed? No, nah, pass. Okay, who's left? Who's left? Yeah. Don't 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 let that happen. Yep, that and, makes sense. And and misremembering, no recollection, uh, forgot. Isn't that what Gary said today? A lot of people have different recollections right? of what happened. Like, uh, you know, somebody forgot who was in the room. It's just embarrassing to hear that. But that's what we're talking about with, like, transparency and stuff and, you know, your experience in 89 where it's like, well, just tell, say what happened and there's nothing to forget or misremember. It was 11 years ago. All right. We're getting the move along sign. All right. Let's move along. Sammy, you good, buddy? Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a good segment. You guys talking about that. Um you know, I just, I think it's good that we keep it going here. Got to bring awareness to the situation. You guys did a good job there. I just wish, you know, I just love to ask and be like, how the hell didn't you know? And how do you change it so that you do know about this stuff? Like, That's it's just, really it, what it comes down to. It just blew my mind that, like, he wouldn't know about this. So, Sammy. That's it. Just hire credible people with character mm-hmm. and integrity, mm-hmm. with morals and values, mm-hmm. and we'll be just fine. Bingo. Love it. All right, we also got Brian Boucher in the show, former NHL goalie analyst for ESPN. He's coming on board. Aaron Ward, could he be our new data guru? (laughs) I don't know. I would have never guessed it. You know, the thing is, it's Look so at much your face credible. light up. It's so much Look more at you. credible. You're like a kid at Christmas Listen, right now. You got to love it. You got a guy who's willing to punch someone in the face, play defense. It's a, we both win here, Kipper. All right, we'll have some fun with Aaron Ward as well. So, Sammy, you were the only one Saturday night mm-hmm. at Scotiabank Arena where the Leafs are not 
off to a great start. And yet you're telling me that the vibe was not bad, pretty good Saturday night? I got to say, for the two games I've been there so far um, against the Sharks and against the Red Wings, the Sharks game wasn't as good. They lost the game, but the crowd was really good. And on Saturday night, I thought, you know, it was an involved crowd. I thought they're really engaged, loud. Uh, you know, I was impressed with their sort of like just. They're you know, probably pumped to be there at 20% off a seat. For sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But I just. <laughs> I, you know, they were gave Marner a standing O when he got his his uh, lucky little goal there at the end of the game, which was a good good read by him. But I, I just thought it was a really good crowd. I was impressed with how engaged they were because people get off, get after the uh, Scotia Bank Arena crowd, and I thought they were pretty good on Saturday. Yeah, there's actually two things before we turn the page on this. First, do you want to give away tickets to a hockey game? Oh. Yeah. Let's you telling it. Sam how to produce? No, he's right. Are you doing that? <laughs> no, he's, he's it's about that time. Well, okay. He didn't get the, the, the number of the shows right. I, I know. We we're working them today. <laughs> so... Yeah, if you're out there, listen. Be sure to be listening for after 4 o'clock today to Real Kipper and Born because we're going to give it a cue to call. We're going to give away some Leafs tickies for tomorrow night. So against the Vegas Golden Knights, who are a good team, so that should be a good game. So make sure you're listening after 4 o'clock for a cue to call, okay? Thank you very much. Bing, bang, boom. And then let's also uh, let's let's launch into the discussion about the Saturday night game. Good crowd from Sammy. And let's hear what Sheldon Keefe had to say about the, the Leafs getting off to a decent start. Yeah, our start was good. I liked a lot of things about that for sure. That was very positive. Um, you know, I liked parts of our second period too. You know, there was there was some good stuff happening within our game, uh, for sure. I just you know, and maybe part of it is we just haven't had the lead late in games enough this season. But uh, we've got more than enough experience on our team that we should be better than that in terms of handling it. And, and uh, you know, lots of good teaching points for us to come out of it. So to get the win and opportunity to use it as a chance to to be better the next time out and get used to, to playing with leads and get comfortable with it, which is really a, a staple of, of you know, any, any good hockey team. So uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it. Okay, for the record, I did last week ban Sheldon. Oh, yeah. I banned him. I told him. Rest of the year, two words you can't use for the rest of the season. You remember those words? I got lessons for sure. Lessons. No more lessons. No Learning. more lessons. Learning is the other, the other one. No more. Can't use lessons. Yeah. And the other one, process. <laughs> Congratulations, Sheldon. You did it. Got them both in. But I'm adding a third one today. Oh, boy. He's going to be a mute. You can no longer, after today, use teaching points. He, you see how he snuck that in? Do you see what he did? Yeah, I do. I caught it. You know what, though? This is like, these are the babies of the the analytical, the, the first wave of analytic coaches and managers. That's process. It's result, or sorry, it's lessons. It's teaching. It's all about working towards a goal. It's never about results. Okay, enough. Oh yeah, you know it's. Oh, I know. Five I know, years. I know. I know. Le- legitimately, is it four or five years? You can't claim it's five, really. No. No. Four. Don't give you a three and a three half. and a half. <laughs> I'll give you three and a half. Okay, see what we just did? We negotiated. <laughs> we did. We did. We talked each other to a good. I'll point take there. three and three quarters. <laughs> All right, fine, whatever. Yeah, no, it's um, it is it does get frustrating at times. But I, I to their credit, we had talked about their starts on this show for week after week after week, and they actually came out and started the game hot. 
You know, they they carried the play where you would have expected them to. You know, for how long? Like they outshot them eight two, I think, at one point mm-hmm. to start. And I don't know. Detroit still didn't look bad. It just never felt like a five, four game to me though. Like the Leafs had control of that hockey game. You know, it felt uncomfortable that the score was close because Detroit had a couple of, you know, Oh, I so disagree with you. Oh, you thought it was a game the whole way. I just, no, it, I'm sorry, but what I saw Saturday night is, is no indication that their, their bad start ended Yeah. Saturday yeah. night. You think they drew a lesser opponent minus the great Tyler Bertuzzi? I just think that every time they had a chance to put the game away or Mm -hmm. uh, show killer instinct, that was a big one when they lost three in a row against Montreal. Yeah. No killer instinct. Season plan, right? They hired Greg Howard, I believe. No killer instinct. And I told you after what, one or two games. I don't like their style of play. And I didn't like it Saturday night. I can't tell you how many times I would watch and, and replay, and I'm like, there's three forwards almost at the, at the bottom of the circles in the offensive zone. How many times they get caught three deep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four. Let, well, let me ask you this. Do you like it any bad, better four. if Mrazek gives them a stop? Gives them gives them one extra stop. In no, there. no, no, no. It's not about Morazic or, or or Jack Campbell it's with one more stop. It's about stop. them stopping the. Let's exchange chances. Let me outscore you. Let me outscore our mistakes, and that's what I constantly see with this team. They like their cookies. They're all cookie monsters. I haven't been many cookies to go around this year. No, but they're all. There, there's there's a lot of cheating going on in their game. Well, and it happens when they get up 4-1, 5-2, whatever. That's when you start to see guys go, okay, it's point night, and then all of a sudden it's 5-3, 5-4. And I think that's what Sheldon's talking about. You know, we haven't had many leads this year, but we've had enough that we shouldn't be experiencing stuff like this in a game like that. It definitely, it's a closer hockey game than, than you expect it and than it should be. And, and the score was closer than I thought the play was too. And just, they, they do lose one-on-one battles. I, I think it was... Uh, you know uh, who didn't, though? V- uh, Valino's goal. I think it came up the wall the whole way. Do you remember which one? Well, yeah, that was Dermot who, who lost. No, his, no, it, but, but if you go before that, it was Bunting who lost a wall puck battle in the offensive zone. Mm. And then I think, I think Morgan might have been caught in between pinching and taking a man or not taking a man. And then it becomes a one-on-one with Dermot. And then he tries to reverse it to Matthews. And then he tries and... to re- reverse it. And then he bails. Yeah. And then Matthews there. And he's caught. No, he's man. caught. And now it was comfortable at what? Three, one now is three, two. Rasmussen made the play behind the net. Mm-hmm. And th- that just, that can't happen. That was three battles lost. Not, not, and everybody wants to point the, the finger at Travis behind the net for that re- reverse. Go watch the play develop. It was yeah. one disaster after another. I hate when highlights are clipped and you miss the, the real reason it ends up there in the first place. So let me ask you then, uh, let's talk about the D and talk about uh, Lilligren played with Sandine. 
Uh, Hall was watching the press box. Dermot gets his big audition with Morgan Riley. People have been clamoring for it. And in the last 15 minutes of the third period, they can't, they can't even put Dermot on the ice. They just think it's just gone too poorly for the guy. Lost puck battles over and over. Every time he touched it, it just went in the wrong direction. What now? What are you left with a takeaway from that decor? I just don't like Sandin and Lilligran on the ice together. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. And there's just if, nothing else to do if, though, Cameron. There's we, no other pair there. You know, if if you're a team that Buffalo where you're just playing with house money right now and you want to put them in there, that's fine. But like you may need these points. Oh yeah. Come March or April. So this is my beef today is as of today, the, the D pairs were the same at practice. So they're going to keep Justin Hall in the press box because you know, NHL teams, we don't change the lineup when we win or whatever the hell the stupid mantra is. They're keeping the lineup the same. I get given Timothy Lilligren a run. He had a nice night on Saturday night. I thought he was good. Great. I just think Justin Hall is either, if he's not in your top four, he's in your top six and Lilligren is going to be the man out. And if you don't think it's Lilligren, it's Dermot. You're playing Vegas. To your point, it's, you know, these points matter. They need to dress their best players and not try to develop players in the season. They need to play their best players. So Justin Hall is likely to sit out a second straight game, which blows my mind given how poorly Dermot was and how little they used him. And that Lilligren has to me had one decent game in pretty, you know, soft minutes. I don't know. I, I just think Justin Hall's got to get back in. You got to believe he's one of their best six guys. Am I right? If, oh my gosh. I mean, six. He better be four. Given what they've invested in, they protected him. He better be four, and yeah. he better find a way to be uh, right back there with Muzzin. Yeah. And if they, I, I think Shel, uh, Sheldon made a, a reference to, uh, and a, kind of paraphrasing here, but we need to build him back up. About I think Hall. those are the words. Yeah, no, that's right. And, jeez, uh, I mean. I, I I get their philosophy. We know it. We've discussed it very closely on this show. Yeah. Is that it is one of positive reinforcement. But I think Sheldon, you got twenty other guys you gotta I don't I don't know when you have time to build him up. Yeah, you, I don't you build everyone up by I winning don't, games, but right? you do that it's by like, playing your best players you know, to me. There, there are some that believe that when you come to the NHL and you're on a roster, the building up is over. We don't build you up here. You build up before you get here. You're supposed to be built. Like everyone's already. like Lilligren. This I got. I you got, can have setbacks, but yeah. now you're like are we talking like major construction here. I know. <laughs> like, do you got to go to the? You got to go to like home hardware here for him. Cole Caulfield's in the American League. There's there's some people that need to work on things. This is not the league for the working on. So, like, let me give two quick thoughts on these two guys. Sure, Justin Hall. Um, you know this this is a guy who they he he makes the puzzle work. He is a right side top four guy who they have banked on being a part of their top four. That's why they kept him. Dubas is a guy trying to save money on value contracts. Right, this is where you need it. Justin Hall makes two million dollars. If he doesn't work in the two million dollar top four spot. I mean, the whole puzzle falls apart because what are you supposed to do after that? You need him to be good. The Lilligren thing, what do you think Lilligren's ceiling is as a player? He's not good enough to be a power play quarterback, and he's not good enough to play defense. So what is he, a four, five? Five, 
six, seven. And and not even a defensive one who kills penalty. I don't see him on special team, special teams. People love him because he was drafted in the first round. I think he's an NHL player probably, but I just, let's not get too excited about the kid that we're trying to develop him. I play your I, best players. I would That's say, it. I would say he could be a serviceable player in the national hockey league. Yes. As like Justin Hall has proven he is and better. Right. He can come in, help you shore up a few things, but in a five, six or seven position, you start thinking that this guy's going to play 15, 20 minutes a night. And I, again, it's, I just don't it's see where he fits. The, 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 it's just about defending. They don't defend Sammy. I'm sorry to raid on your Saturday night parade here, mm. but they don't defend. Well, listen, you guys are talking about Lilligren, and I thought, he, like I you said, too hard. No, no, I thought he was decent on Saturday night. He was. He was very like good. Everyone, everyone said he was playing at the end of the game with Morgan Riley there for a couple times, playing with Muzzin. Like I thought he played well, but I don't think this team's in a particularly great spot if that's the plan for the rest of the season. Well said. You know, like I think, yeah, I guess we're talking about the going to home hardware and building up Justin Hall. But they kind of need Justin Hall to be at least uh, a fraction of what he was last year, and a bigger fraction if we're going to go to math class here. But they need him to be pretty good for them to have a good for them to be good defensively. And you're right, they don't defend very well. And having Lilligan play close to 20 minutes, only play, I think he played at 17, 18 minutes on Saturday night. That's not okay. a recipe. And it's against Detroit yeah. in Game Nine. You know, like uh, how, we're already here. In, yeah. This is all you need to know about the Leafs up until this point. Okay. Under a minute to go. Comfortable. 5-3. Should be fine. Muzzin and Brody go okay. over the boards. It, it's now 5-4 with uh, the big shot. Herdenic. Uh, Herdenic. Heronic. Yeah. Heronic. 5-4. 29 seconds left. It's 5-4. There's a center ice draw. 2.7 seconds off that center ice draw. The puck's deep in the Leafs' zone. There's another chance at the two net. Seven. There was chaos in the two crease. seven yeah. off a center ice draw. The puck now is deep in their zone. Okay, uh, Fabry hooks Kerfoot. It's over. Yeah, it's over. Right, mm-hmm. Leafs on a power but play. But wait, there's more. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's over. Twelve point two seconds. They're on a power play. And it's deep in Detroit's zone. 12.2 seconds, and you're on a man advantage. And then within seconds, you are now in your own zone. You lost a battle. The puck goes out, I think, to to uh, one of the young kids there, uh, Raymond. Yeah, He gets it to the net. I thought he's good, by the way. And I don't know who lost position. I think, uh, I think it was Sandin, Sandin on on the ice. And I think it's DeKaiser who got one crack, a legitimate crack, to tie the game up off of a twelve point two second faceoff in Detroit's zone. So what I mean about puzzle pieces? Come like on, Sandin is out. You know, like you don't have that. I mean, I hate to be that guy, but like you, you don't have Bogosian to throw the ice in that situation. All, all I remember off of that play was here the, the Leafs are with the win, and all you see is Mitch Marner going off the ice 
shaking his head. Well, even Sheldon in the press conference saying that I thought, you know, I thought I, it should feel better than this, basically, that win. It was good. They okay. won. They beat a team they should. 12.2, 12.2 seconds, face off deep in their own zone. Five seconds later, you are in a full panic in your own zone. Like Should not happen. Should not happen. Yeah. And that's, that's, you can hear that in Sheldon's voice in his post. What I mean by puzzle pieces, at least Justin Hall in that situation is a guy you can have on the ice. He's a guy you want on the rink in that wall. You want him on the wall. You need him on that wall. We have Rose rights. <laughs> Who's going to protect you? You, you, Lieutenant Bourne. <laughs> All right, let's not get into that. All right. What movie? Quickly. Uh, a Few Good Men. Yeah, there you go. You got your movie trivia. Sammy? Didn't know that one. Didn't know that one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Brian Boucher. We'll get into the Leafs and so much more. All coming up after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So, JB, mm-hmm. as it sits now, the Leafs have nine points in nine games. Not great, Bob. And what we appeared as what? Uh, fairly easy schedule to start the season? Yes. Really? Uh, like, would you call it super soft or? I would. I would call it super soft. I think it's you would. Been, yeah, it's, it's been as gettable as you can possibly have. You know, the, the Rangers are maybe better than we thought. They'd be going into the year. The Sharks are maybe better than we thought, but still not, to, not world beaters of a lineup. So this is this week is then a very good test here. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure what I saw Saturday night would make a lot of people believe that they're they're ready for Vegas, Tampa Bay, and and Boston. Ironically, those teams' records aren't good. We just know they're good teams. So can we still claim that for the Leafs, that they are a good team and their records aren't not really good <laughs> or, or have they have they leaked too much oil in those nine games here's goal differential boston minus two tampa bay minus two toronto minus eight so i don't think they're quite there but close let's ask brian boucher from let's do it. espn on whether uh the leafs should be mixed in with other very good hockey teams that have not fared well to start the season or is there more to their defensive woes brian how are you I'm good, Kipper. How you doing? Great good, to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on board here for a little while with uh, myself and uh, JB. Um, your thoughts from from watching the Leafs and whether or not uh, this is even remotely the the team that dominated that Canadian division last season. Uh, I think they're obviously. I agree with you guys. I don't think that they are uh, where they need to be defensively. Um, I think there are some holes, but I mean, I look at it from the standpoint where, you know, you're now you're getting out of the month of October and I think now is where you start to see where, what teams are really made of as you get into November. And, you know, it's hard to judge teams early on. Um, some teams come out the gate hot, as you know, Kipper, and some teams uh, tend to kind of dip their toe in the water a little bit. And I think for Toronto, maybe it's a case too, where, you know, they're dealing with, you know, expectations. I think, you know, these last couple of years, they've fallen short in the playoffs and the heat has ratcheted up. Um, and maybe it's not about having uh, a great October as it, as it is about, you know, having 
a great end to the season. So I, am, am I in panic mode for the Toronto Maple Leafs just yet? And am, I'm more of an outsider than you guys ever are in looking at their club. I don't like their defense all that much. I'm not sold on the goaltending. Uh, do I think that there's probably changes coming down the pipeline for this club? I would think there has to be uh, to address some of those issues. But in saying that, I still look at this club and think that they are uh, a team that I think is, is going to be competing in the end. Uh, I still put them at the top of the at the top of the you know the Atlantic. I mean, I, I think Florida's proven to be a top team, but I think Toronto is going to be in the top three when you're looking at that Atlantic division when it's all said and done. Ryan, what is it about the uh, the goaltending in Toronto that you're not uh, entirely sold on? Is there you know a, a guy you prefer of the tandem, or, or just in general with with both of them that you're not super sold? I, I I was a big fan of Freddie Anderson, and I know that maybe that's not a popular statement in Toronto, but oh, that's fine. Um, I always I always liked him. I know that last year there's probably some frustration with him and his injuries, but if you're looking at injuries, I mean a guy like Peter Morazic. His whole career has been injured. At, at times when it's been time for him to take over or be a go-to guy, there always seems to be some some injury that holds him back. And uh, I think that's why he hasn't been able to achieve maybe the success that I think some people thought he would have or maybe he thought he would have. So that, I think, at times is frustrating. If you can't stay healthy, then what good can you do for a team? So I'm always nervous about that with Mrazek. Um Jack Campbell, I think, is a great story. But I don't I – don't, look at him as a number one. Uh, I look at him as a 1B at best, and I think he provides an emotional boost for this club. I think the guys enjoy playing in front of him, uh, and he certainly has a, a love for the game, and he's a great story. But, I mean, I just, when I'm looking at other teams around the National Hockey League, uh, number one goaltenders or number one tandems, this one kind of, it worries me a little bit. Morazic's health, and I think just Jack Campbell's, uh, general track record as far as being a, a, a go-to guy in the league. And he could prove me wrong. He could be a guy that finally figures it out later on in his career. But I just think it's fair to question whether or not when push comes to shove and you get to the nitty-gritty of it, will these guys be able to come through for you in the end? Uh, I would have put my money on Freddie Anderson all day long, but that's me, and I guess that, that ship has sailed. So there's no sense in talking about that now. We're speaking to Brian Boucher, former NHL goalie, now analyst on ESPN. Boosh, you may be the perfect guy to answer this question. And as you speak of Mrazek's health, please explain to me how it's possible, and if you've ever heard this scenario before, where a goalie pulls his groin in the first game of the season. How does that even happen? Well, it certainly can't. Listen, I, I pulled my groin in a shootout in an exhibition game uh, <laughs> in Phoenix and missed, and missed three months, so it, it, it can happen. Whoops, okay. Um, it is possible then. <laughs> it is possible. Okay, so yes, so uh, what were you and Peter Mrazek doing all summer? <laughs> well, this idea that you think that, well, you should be stretched out and warmed up and all that. Yes, better, yeah. Better. Is that too much <laughs> yeah, to ask no, for $3.4 million? Archaic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I'll defend the, the grind thing. Uh, these things can creep up on you. And oftentimes, I always found that, you know, there's always – it's like a chain reaction. If you've got something out of line somewhere else, uh, my grinds always seem to get in trouble. So if my back was out, then inevitably the groins would get sore. And But look, I mean, but if you're dealing with injuries and Mrazek has dealt with injuries his whole career, right? 
maybe there's something breaking down in the body that isn't allowing for him to be able to, to play at such a high level consistently. And, you know, to get injured that first game, that's frustrating. That's not the start you're looking to get off to. Um, do I think it's because he didn't train properly or was out of shape? I'm not going to go as far to say that. I, I just think that when your body starts to break down and you've got, um, you know, overcompensating in certain areas, then other things start to go, you know, and, you know, like the hip bones connected to the knee bone or whatever the heck you want to call it. It's just, it, to me, that's what I felt when I started to get injured is one thing after the next. And it, it's frustrating. But if you're looking at, uh, you know, getting a team or a tandem that can do a job, part of doing the job is you got to be healthy to do the job. And I think that's where my question mark comes in with Mrazek. When, he's, when he plays and he's healthy, He's an exciting goaltender to watch, um, and he's, he's you know he's played some good hockey in his NHL career. But man, if you just can't get in the net and you can't perform, that that is always going to be something that that haunts you, and it's going to be a reason why people question. Boosh, how do you feel about the league going to like mostly tandems? Like, what's the difference for a goaltender when you're playing every other game and there's some lag between your starts versus a guy who knows he's going? You're constantly going to be the starter in the crease. Are you a fan of the way it's going? And I guess how does the mindset change when when you're in different roles there? I, I think you have to do it, Justin. Nowadays, just I mean, listen, we talk about parity, but maybe the parity isn't there. As I, you know, I think the standings like. Montreal's two and eight. Uh, we got a couple of teams without wins, Arizona and Chicago. So maybe the parity comment uh, doesn't work in this argument. But in general, I think in the last, you know, five to eight years, we've seen um, no easy layups in the league, right? Like when I came in in 99, you know, we had some expansion teams like Columbus and Minnesota where Atlanta, you know, guaranteed victories. I, with the Philadelphia Flyers, we were such a better team. We could go in there and play at 50% and still know you're going to get two points. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. And because of that, these goaltenders are under a lot of stress. And I think you have to have tandems. It's, it's important. Um, you can't expect the guy to be, you know, at the top of his game for 65 to 70 games, the way Marty Brodeur okay. used to do it, and then expect him to be great in, in the postseason. There's well, just no chance. But, so, but Bush, then we, we, we look at a final and there's Vasilevsky versus Price. And there's, I, I got to look at the program to see who backs those guys up. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Vasilevsky breaks the mold as far as tandems are concerned. There's no question about that. Um, but I mean, if you want to get to that place, you better damn well be sure that you got a Vasilevsky who one is in terrific shape. Uh, can play and handle the pressures of, of game after game. And how many of those guys yeah. are out there in, in the league right now? There's not many. No, I mean, you're right. It's a good two, point. Two, two fingers. Like, so I think you just have to have a tandem. And you, 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 and then it's about managing. If a guy says, like John Gibson says he wants to play every night, okay, that's great, John. But the reality is uh, if we do that, you're going to get burnt out by game 35 because you're going to be facing a lot of quality and you know your team's not going to give you run support. So you've just got to tell these guys that want to play every night, I appreciate the fact you want to play every night, but that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to find a way to make sure that when you give us a start, it's a quality start and not just a start. Because once we get guys that it's just a start because he's your number one guy, then you get leaky goals and bad performances and it comes back on the goaltending. I think it's just best now to have a tandem and two guys that understand their role. And then they've got to learn to manage their practice time and make sure that their rest is, is important. Make sure that when they do practice, that they're getting the quality that they need. And that's a challenge for some guys who are typically used to playing lots of hockey. Um, I know some guys, it, it's a struggle for them, but to be honest with you, that, that's just the way it has to be. I feel right now in this day and age. 
you, when you look at overall the goaltending in the National Hockey League, uh, are there a, a ton of great goalies coming up? You know, Sorokin and uh, the Island, um, Shosturkin with the Rangers. Like we see, we see a lot of potential in a lot of guys. But then sometimes I look at even Bush, the the goaltenders in Canada here, and you know, outside of Carey Price being the man for the last ten years. You know, you wonder, you know, if 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 the health of of Canadian goaltending is going to be super strong. It just doesn't seem like we're we're pushing enough Carey Price of the next generation out there. Is it is it go back to minor hockey or are less kids wanting to be a goalie or like what's the deal here? I, I mean, with all of the scrutiny that these guys get, I don't know why any kid would want to be a goaltender <laughs> growing up now. <laughs> um, I mean, I wanted to be a goalie just because I wanted to play and I just wanted to be out there all the time. And you, you kind of enjoyed, you know, being the hero or the goat at the end of the day. But there's a lot of pressure on on these guys now. And, uh, you know, I think we probably all would have thought two seasons ago that maybe a guy like Carter Hart was the next Carey Price coming up. And now we've kind of cooled on on heart because he had a tough year last year. And I guess we're going to reassess and reevaluate, but I think you're right in Canada. It's really hard to pinpoint maybe a guy that I look at and say, boy, he's the, he's the next guy. Right. I think the the goaltending position is really um, it's become really global when you think about it. And whereas some of the great goalies are coming from now, Finland's had done a terrific job of pumping out goalies over the last 10, 20 years. Russia, I think now is probably number one. I mean, when you look at the guys that they have, Vasilevsky's the best goalie in the world, and it's hard to think that you wouldn't put a guy like Shishterkin and Sorokin in that class as well. And I know Bobrovsky's had his bumps in the road, but he's got two dozenists. So, I, you know, maybe it's it, maybe it is something where at the at the minor hockey level that uh, you know the the, the coaching um, maybe has to take a look in the mirror, but. It's also the the player itself. I, I think the coaching is is, is so uh, prevalent now at the younger ages that uh, I don't know. Is it a case of overcoaching in some in some instances? I, I don't really have an answer because the, the, the resources that these parents and these kids have at a young age now to to specialize in a position it's there. I just think it's the pressures of playing that position that inevitably uh, that's the area that you have to master the most uh, because it's hard. It's it's a hard position. There's a lot of pressure. Uh, in that position, and maybe right now for Canada, it's a little bit of a uh, maybe maybe a potential dry spot. I don't want to go that far because I'm not I'm not ready to give up on a guy like Carter Hart, let's say. But um, certainly, it doesn't stand out like the days when you had Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh uh, and Roberto Luongo and players like goalies like that that just really like when you thought about goaltending, that's what you thought about. Yeah. I think now it's more of a global thought where you're thinking about guys in the past like Lundqvist and now the Russian guys and maybe some Finns. Bush, last one for me, and we'll uh, we'll get you on your way. I just wanted to know about uh, you, you're you're at ESPN here, and you guys have hockey back. How is the temperature of, uh, or I guess the excitement of hockey in the United States with ESPN getting the rights? How's it been, sort of being back, uh, you know, hockey at the mothership so far? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's been good. I think. Um... You know, I, I, I think with, with with the fans, you know, I think the opening night was great. I think the, the, the ratings were as high as, I, you know, I don't want to quote them on what they were, but I think they may have been the highest in almost two decades, I think, uh, for opening night on ESPN. 
I think right now it's a challenge with uh, maybe making the viewership in the United States understand what ESPN's deal entails, right? It's a, it's largely a subscription-based package where, you know, you have to subscribe to ESPN plus, and maybe for some people it's a learning curve here in this first month where they, they weren't fully educated on that. So they're looking at ESPN, where's the game, where's the game. It's not on ESPN, it's on ESPN plus. So, uh, we're working hard to make sure that uh, the fans in the United States understand that uh, and also the value in subscribing to ESPN+. Plus. But I think just, you know, in a bigger sense, having two outlets, I think, has been great in the United States. I think TNT's done a very good job with their uh, with their coverage so far. Their studio shows have been fantastic. And I think for fans, it's good. I mean, I was at NBC for the last six, seven years, and I think uh, maybe some fans – uh, we're longing for change, and now they've got change. And maybe from the ESPN side, they just got to get used to the subscription-based uh, um, approach, whereas at TNT, it's on their local cable. They can watch it every single Wednesday night, and they're getting a, a variety of people to watch instead of the same people that they saw on NBC uh, every week. So I think the fans in the, in the United States, are uh, they're excited. I mean, we're never going to be as uh, – as intense as as you folks up north i mean you guys obviously have a great passion for the game but i think in markets where hockey's been entrenched in the united states uh the fans are are excited about it and i know that we at espn are excited about uh you know bringing them uh bringing them the content as well so i'm excited to be a part of espn i think it's great for the league that there's two outlets in the states and and uh after the last 20 months or so that we went through uh, with the with the pandemic and such, I think we're all looking forward to getting back to some normalcy and uh, getting full buildings on a consistent basis and, and enjoying the great game that we love. You know, I would have never asked you about Mrazic's uh, injury to start the season if I knew you were going to pull out your stinking goalie union card. <laughs> Did I defend him too much? I thought, I, I thought it was hard on him at the start. <laughs> You're good, Bush. Brian Boucher, former NHL goalie, hockey analyst, and president of the Union Goalie Club. Thanks for doing this, Bush. All right, guys. VP, VP, remember. VP. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the highest paid there. All right. That was awesome.